Hey, welcome to Female Founder World. I'm Jasmine Garnsworthy. I'm the host of the show, and I am the creator of all things Female Founder World. I'm in our online community on Geneva. If you've been to one of our in-person events, which is, I would say, what we're best known for, you've probably seen me running around like crazy at the events or moderating a panel. I'm also the person writing a lot of our newsletter. I am in our Instagram and TikTok content. I am doing all the things along with my little team. But if you just heard me rattle off all those things and you're like, hold on, there's a newsletter or what community are you talking about? Make sure you jump into the show notes right now and go over to those resources because Yeah, we have a podcast, but we have a lot of other amazing content and resources available for you as well. Okay, on to today's episode. I'm interviewing the co-founder of Obey Fitness. Her name is Ashley Mills, and they are a fitness platform that is probably best known for their live classes. They also have on-demand sessions, and they became a pretty big deal during 2020 for I guess, pretty obvious reasons. You know, that's when I discovered them. I was doing like some boxing workouts and some Pilates sessions at home and I was paying like $20 a month. I think now they have more than 10,000 classes available on demand. They are a pretty sizable player in this fitness space and Ashley really built the business through celebrity and influencer partnerships, through brand to brand partnerships and by using a test and learn approach to create an awesome product. I feel like we all have a lot to learn from Ashley. She's a pretty impressive founder. And like all of the folks we get on this show, she is sharing the practical stuff so that you can replicate her success as well. All right, let's get into the show. You are now entering Female Founder World with your host, Jasmine Grinesworthy. Ashley, welcome to Female Founder World. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm a a long time follower of all of the great things that you're doing, Jasmine. So excited to be here. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, I've seen your name come up in the Geneva group. So it's great to actually be able to chat. And I know that we've connected a million times in the past and been wanting to do this show. for. But for people who don't know Obey Fitness, your business, I'm a user, but maybe not everyone listening to the show is. What are you guys building? Yeah, we are a digital fitness platform bringing best-in-class fitness offerings to people everywhere. It really started back uh, actually in, you know, as a side hustle, my business partner, Mark Millette and I were talent agents at CAA and we spent so much of our twenties and part of our thirties spinning and sculpting and doing all of the boutique fitness classes in New York. And we would travel a lot together um, and, you know, do like early morning classes. And we're just like always in love with the instructors and the experience. Um, And so we really wanted to democratize that experience and bring it to more people. Um, And so this is pre-COVID. This is um, March of 18 is when we launched the business. We, you know, left our our corporate jobs um, just before that. And we launched with um, live and on-demand classes. And then over time, we've added on a lot of programs. We're beta testing a one-to-one product. Um, but the goal and the point of view is really around this idea of entertainment. So it's where entertainment and fitness meet. We try and create like very immersive and fun experiences um, that are also obviously very effective with the goal of getting people to come back. Because when you think about fitness, that's the hardest part about fitness is mm-hmm. consistency. And how do you create the accountability early in the journey to get that person to become a fitness person? That's what we hear so often is that, um, you know, maybe if you if you were an athlete in high school or, you know, whatever the case may be, you might already have a fitness habit and you really like understand how to listen to your body and know what your body needs. But then for those who didn't necessarily have that experience and they know that they should exercise and they want to exercise, 
they just have a really, really hard time doing it. I think we're like the perfect solution because we have so much variety. We really like hold your hand through the process throughout the life cycle of our, of our, of our company. We've really tried to figure out what are these ways that we can bring new members onto the platform in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming and gives them like the tips and the tools that they need to create that fitness habit. It's a really immersive and fun platform. There's 25 different class types. There's 15 programs. And we're always like launching really new, fun, exciting class types. So this year we launched Step Aerobics, which was like awesome. Um, both my partner and I, we grew up in the 80s with our moms doing like Jane Fonda and Richard mm-hmm. Simmons in our basement. So we knew that like <laughs> that kind of experience could be really fun. And so that was like a, we weren't thinking like, oh, this is going to be this like big revolutionary thing, but it actually was. Um, and people have really taken the step, but it's just like, it's such a fun kind of like low impact class type um, that really gets your heart rate up and um, lots of strength training. Very cool. I kind of want to like dig into a little bit about what the business model looks like. So people subscribe to the platform. You have your talent who are these fitness instructors, but they're all, they're not just fitness instructors. They're like very, um, I don't know. And it's like many little celebrities, I feel like in within the platform, like you have folks that you follow for sure. I have certain classes that I like to go to and they are contractors and everything is live. It looks like it's filmed in a studio. How does that all work? Our studio is in Dumbo in Brooklyn. So right over the Brooklyn Bridge where everyone takes that photo. That is, you know, we're right above the sweet green. So our office is, is there and that's where we shoot all of our content. Our production starts at, everyone gets there at 5.30. The first live class is at 6 a.m. Uh, and really the idea of like doing things that early is so that people who want to take a live class, who want that accountability, they want to hear their name called out. They want to know that they're working out in real time with other people. They can work out at the times that are right for them. So we start at 6 um, and we go until like late afternoon and then on some days we do evening classes as well so um yeah it's it's pretty it's a pretty amazing kind of like it's the willy wonka of of fitness content Mm. um and so yeah so that's that's how kind of like the production works we have this really immersive set that was inspired by james terrell and dan flavin two incredible incredible contemporary artists and the goal with our set is that you know the, the lights shift and change color and the idea behind it is that we can help um, to take you, you know, out of like your space. So like think of, you know, if you're working out in a basement, you're working out in a whatever the space is. Um, it's, it's really meant to take you out of that space and sort of transport you in this other world and this other universe so that you can like get into the flow state and you can get all of the, the mental health benefits of, of a great workout. Okay. So you're running basically a production business as well as like a tech business. Yes. Well, it's, <laughs> there's a lot of business. Yes. So, and there's also like the subscription piece. So to your point, it yeah. is a subscription service. We have monthly and annual plans. We also have a shop component. We have Athleta as a, the female apparel company. They are a strategic investor and we do lots of collabs with them. So there's also, um, there's also kind of like the e-com component. And then we do a ton of partnerships. Partnerships are really our way of getting our voice into market and getting in front of new audience. And so with those partnerships, sometimes those are barter deals, sometimes they're paid, but you know, they're, they're really incredible sort of partnerships that like require a team. So there's, yeah, when you think about our platform, it's like, oh, digital fitness, but it's like, it's so much more than that. It is subscription. It is brand. It is, it is tech. It is all of those things. So we've got, we've got our work cut out for us. We've got a free workshop for you besties. It's all about how to win on TikTok in 2023. I'm sure you know by now that you need to be investing energy into TikTok right now, but maybe you don't know how to be strategic on the platform because digital marketing is shifting all the time. I get it. 
And that's why we're putting on this workshop in partnership with TikTok with a real TikTok expert that's all about how to develop your organic and your paid strategy in 2023. Hit the link in the show notes to sign up and score your free spot. I can imagine that when you kind of had the idea for this business, one of the things maybe that would have come to mind is like more of a fitness marketplace. You know, you let people come on and sell their own classes and and then you're not responsible for the production. And that from the outside, that sounds like a way easier thing to kind of get off the ground and test. Why did you decide not to do that? Yeah, it's a great question. With our backgrounds as people in the entertainment space, we know how hard it is to create a great experience. And there's lots of people who can create classes in their homes, but the issues with that are the audio quality is not great. The, they can't use popular music. Um, the lighting and all of, you know, all of the necessary things to create this really compelling piece of fitness content that makes it easy to understand what the movements are and like really feel connected to it um, are very, very hard to accomplish in those sort of settings. And so we, it was really important for us to bring everything in-house to really be like a first-of-its-kind entertainment uh, fitness network. And so, yeah, that's why it's all there. So you're, when you come to a class at Obey, you can expect incredible audio quality. You can expect great music. Mm. You can expect phenomenal talent. And our talent, like they're not, you know, they're not necessarily folks who want to do this in their homes. Like they yeah. appreciate because they're all professionals and they're dancers and they've worked on Broadway. They've done all types of, you know, kind of like really interesting work. And I know that they it's important for them that they have these like really um, high end production values so that they can do what they do best, which is be performers, be storytellers, and obviously give you a great workout. When you first had this idea, what were some of the things that you did to kind of get it off the ground? I came to you guys in 2020. I think a lot of people probably did, but I'm sure you were, you know, must've been around before then. And that timing Mm -hmm. must've been, um, yeah, must've been really interesting for the business, both from trying to get people into a studio to film, but also subscriptions would have been exploding, I imagine. But you were around before that. So what were those early days like? Yeah, we were. So we we did a lot to really like understand and figure out what what was the business that we wanted to build and how how are we going to like execute on it. So, um, and we needed to raise capital before even starting because we needed a production studio. We needed people to work, to run the live shows every day. We needed to hire talent. So there was like so much that went into it. And in order to raise that initial sort of like pre-seed round, we did a couple of things. So we did a bunch of Facebook lives. So this was before, obviously it's pre-COVID. So Instagram lives were not a thing. Digital fitness was not like super well-known. Peloton existed, but it was tiny. And so we created these Facebook lives that we had like, I don't know, a thousand friends on Facebook and we broadcast them on my account. And what we were trying to understand is what was the sort of like completion rate on those classes? We promoted them in advance so people knew that they were coming to work out with us. And I had an instructor in a studio and, you know, the whole thing. And what we found is that people completed the class and then we put it on demand. They like, the views were insane. Of the thousand Facebook followers that I had, there was 8,000 views on the class and it was a 50% completion rate, which like in the world of working out online, which didn't really Mm. exist. It was, that was pretty meaningful. So I think that early data was really helpful. And again, like something that didn't cost, I spent like 200 bucks on a studio and like a camera, like there was not, you know, this was not a, um, a big lift. So that was one of the things that we did. Another thing that we did is we, um, spent our own money putting together a shoot in this like very high end production facility in Brooklyn and used green screen to try and like create what the idea of Obey was going to be. So obviously this is before building a set because we didn't have the money to do that. 
And I think that sizzle that we created and just to show the different class types, we did, I think it was three different like 10 minute classes. That was really helpful for us to like work out what we wanted this to be. And then also to show to potential investors that they could, um, they could understand what it would look like and feel like. And yeah, I think those two things were probably the most important to get us to a place where we were like out of the deck making phase and into the actual mm-hmm. execution phase. Because I think it's in that execution phase where you actually figure out what your business is. You can make you know pretty decks all day long, but it's not until you actually start doing the thing to see what works and start testing. You're really going to take sort of like your, your business to the next level. That's always my tip actually for people who are thinking about a business. I've had so many friends that have come to me, you know, throughout the like five years that I've been on this entrepreneurial journey and they have an idea and they have something that they want to create. And they always are like, you know, they send me like a 50 page deck to review. And I'm like, mm-hmm. listen, your deck is awesome, but go do something. <laughs> go do the like, go thing. Go actually do the thing. Yeah. yeah. And see if, see if it resonates um, because you, you have gut instincts about what's going to work, but you don't know until you actually do it. And so that would always be my, my biggest piece of advice. And I think now with the way that technology is, you can really like pilot most things in a very inexpensive way. Um, Totally. I agree with that. I think that's really good advice. Um, A lot of people can get really stuck in the weeds of like planning what the next few years are going to look like. And it's like, you don't know anything until you've like gone out and shown people (laughs) what you want them to pay money for and see if they want to pay money for it. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, some of the other things that we did, because we didn't have, um, we didn't have a lot of money. We had no marketing budget when we launched. We raised enough money to open studio and to create content. And so from there, we, you know, obviously coming from the entertainment world, we had lots of sort of celebrity and influencer relationships. And we reached out to those people to be part of our early beta um, to give us feedback. Because these were all people who love fitness. They, you know, they like us were in that kind of like boutique fitness scene. So we elicited a ton of feedback and made them sort of like early kind of brand ambassadors. And so by the time we were launching, they were like very, they were very bought in and they wanted to support us. And so we got lots of folks to promote us on social, which was great because we didn't like pay for those early subscribers. We were able to really understand um, who, who we spoke to, like who needed our product the most um, and also understand how they were using the product. So one of the early things that we did, it was all live. So we did, we had like a little bit of an on-demand library, but it wasn't much. Um, and it was all live. And the idea there was that we could get people to show up for themselves in the same way that they would a boutique fitness class. And the reality of like digital is that people expect convenience. Like we are all, um, yep. you know, because of Netflix and Hulu, we're really interested in, in consuming content on our own time. And it, that was like a, that was something for us where it was like, we know that we want people to show up live and to create, it, it will help them create a habit if they do the same thing at the same time of day, every day. But we learned very early on that like, that's not what consumers, that's what some consumers want, but it's not what all consumers want. And so we had to like shift our, our model in terms of like the amount of on-demand content that we were going to create versus um, kind of like that initial plan. Interesting. I want to understand a little bit more about how you actually like find subscribers and, and what that looks like maybe in the earlier days where you didn't have huge, you know, word of mouth referrals and, and your funnel would, would have been not particularly like built out versus now that you're more established, what that, what that looks like. Yeah, it's a great question. So, and it has changed so dramatically. When I think about the last five years in digital marketing, it's the, the transformation is, is incredible. 
Um, so when we initially launched, it was, you know, really like reaching out to people and building that like one-to-one -one relationship. We had the benefit of celeb relationships, which were, were very, very helpful. Um, but I think one of the other things that we did, and I don't even know if you can, I'm, I would imagine you can do this now, but on Instagram, anyone who followed us on Instagram, because we weren't doing like retargeting or anything based on folks who had interacted, we would literally DM every single person and it was Mark or I, and I think you could only do like up to a hundred people a yeah. day. And so we would just DM people and be like, what kind of questions can we answer for you? And in the early days, everyone thought that we were a in-person studio. They didn't understand that we were digital. Mm. And so that was like kind of the big learning that we, um, that we had to sort of like combat and figure out how to message that to people because it, digital fitness wasn't, it wasn't as a big of a thing and wasn't understood in the same way that it is now. And then we started doing influencer work over time, like more of the like paid influencer strategy. And for a while that worked. And then I think it was, it was around the time of like iOS 14 when that started to change because you weren't able to retarget in the same way. And you just didn't, you didn't have that kind of like level of information. So influencers, like the macro influencers became a lot less efficient and their businesses like really changed. And we could certainly feel it when we would work with people and just to see the number of people that would come in as a result, it wasn't as, um, it wasn't as high. So, you know, and then obviously on like the paid side in terms of like Facebook and Instagram over the last two years, the, the CACs have been wild. So <clears throat> not a scalable solution, like economically didn't make sense. And we've never subscribed to like the growth at all cost mindset, but for a long time, like that was the, that was the idea and that's what everyone was doing. Obviously with this market downturn and the way that everything is sort of changing right now, I think a lot of other brands are, are stopping their spend. Some are completely stopping their spend. A lot of them are dramatically pulling back, but we dramatically pulled back last year. And so I think, you know, as we think about the future, it really is like how we have this incredible community of engaged members. So our, our top 20% of users are taking like 40 plus classes a month, which is incredible. They're working out with us every day and sometimes twice a day. So that mm -hmm. could be, you know, like meditation in the evening and then they're doing like a workout during the day. So they're, this is like a hyper, hyper engaged community. And so what we're thinking about is how do we, we already have these members who are like brand ambassadors on their own. It's like a very organic thing that already happens. How do we create and sort of like templatize an experience that um, helps them and like gives them the tools that they can, you know, talk to their followers, to their friends, to their communities about what is helping them to live like their best lives. And that is obey, right? So um, we're, that's like something that we're actively working on that we're excited to um, activate in Q1 um, to get the message out there in a bigger way. And, you know, for it really to be like a community-led growth strategy as opposed to a paid growth strategy. The other important thing that we started very, very early on in our business was partnerships. So because we didn't raise and we didn't have a market or we raised, but we didn't raise enough to have a real marketing budget. Mm -hmm. um, we went to our networks and um, found really incredible companies that we could partner with. So very, very early, we partnered with WW, we partnered with Athleta, we partnered with Samsung, we partnered with lots of like young female founded companies to, to figure out how we could get our content out in front of people. And those, those have been some of our um, most meaningful relationships throughout the course of the last five years. And those relationships have <clears throat> obviously they've changed and we've tried like lots of different things over that time period. Um, but yeah, partnerships are still like a massive part of our strategy. So like, as an example, we partner with a lot of studios um, for film releases. So 
as if, for instance, this was like a totally a pinch me moment um, coming from the entertainment space, but we partnered with Disney Plus on West Side Story oh, wow. um, when they were launching that. And so we had our, you know, our instructors were like dressed up as um, sort of characters from West Side Story. And we did like a shoot all around Brooklyn. Our creative actually had to be approved by Steven Spielberg. So it was like this like total pinch me. This is the coolest moment ever. So we've done stuff like that. We worked with Disney Plus on Cruella. Um, we worked with HBO Max when they launched um, Sex in the City on their platform and Game of Thrones. So like the Game of Thrones workouts were amazing. They were these like hardcore, like tough, um, tough workouts. And so, yeah, I think looking for partners like in interesting ways and thinking a little bit differently about how we market, I think is, is really, really important. Um, and, you know, when we work on like overall kind of distribution strategy. So we don't do like traditional kind of like paid brand. Um, it's just too expensive and we can't compete, uh, especially with the competitors in our space that are are flush with VC cash and we are not. Um, we, like we did a partnership this year with American Airlines. So we're in all, all American airline flights and we created this like really immersive fun content that's specific for flying. So it's like stretches you can do in your seat. It's, um, you know, sort of, journaling there's a lot of people who they're only sort of like quiet times on a plane and so we get them um you know we we get them really great content so that they can think about the things that are going on in their lives and you know how can they like take a moment for themselves um on a flight and they're you know they're sort of organized by like the early morning flight the afternoon flight the evening flight so it really fits in with um you know how you're working out and we're actually about to launch a partnership with lincoln motor company and um was a really, really cool shoot where we took a Lincoln Navigator and we created workouts that you could do in the car. So I think like a meditation, like a meditation with your eyes open, obviously, if you're yep. <laughs> um, like waiting in line until like pick up your kids from school or, um, you know, something that you could do on the back of the car. So if you and your friends are somewhere together and you have a little bit of time to kill, like what is this workout that you can do so you can sort of like multitask. But it was just like really fun, like beautiful, immersive content. But yeah, we think about how do we create movements in all of these in all of these sort of different places so that we can meet consumers where they are um, and we can provide value. That is so smart. I, I'm l- listening to all of these brands that you've partnered with and it sounds like they're really uh, customized, very considered, thought out kind of partnerships that you're producing. What is the process of landing a partner like that? Like who on the team is managing that? And what do you, are you out, like, is it called outreach? Do they find you? Is yeah. it just someone in your network? Like how does that happen? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think we, um, so in the early days, my business partner and I, we were the whole team. We were doing social, we were doing, um, you know, business development. We were doing, we were never doing production, but we were certainly in the production studio. Um, but yeah, we were doing all of the different roles. And so in those early days, that's when we um, brought on the Samsung partnership and Athleta and all of these um, different folks. We really just like worked our networks. And I think based on the success of those partnerships, you know, brand folks talk and they know who is like effective and efficient with spend, et cetera. So a lot of people started reaching out to us. So then it became more of a, an incoming call um, business where we would say no than more than we would say yes. And we've really focused on like partnering with like great blue chip brands that, you know, where there was like a, um, a really inter- interesting intersection. So we would never do like, we wouldn't do anything that's like not great for you or something that like didn't make sense in our category. Everything that we do like really has to make sense for the brand because again, that is our brand play as well as, um, you know, a way of, of getting in front of an acquiring and acquiring consumer. So now we have a brand team. It is a small but mighty team. They're incredibly talented. 
and they know all of the different agencies and, you know, they have a lot of like brand relationships as well. And I think because we are, you know, we're written about a lot in the different, um, in the different trades and podcasts um, and different, you know, panels, et cetera, people have heard about us at this point. So I think a lot of people, when they're thinking about how do we go after this, like 25 to 55 or yeah, 25 to 54 year old female audience, where are those people and what are the brands that they connect with every day? And Obey comes top of mind. Um, so naturally, I think there's there's a lot of opportunities that are come to, coming to us these days. Very cool. I want to talk about like growing a team and finding talent because when I look at the business, I'm like, okay, there's clearly like two part, you know, two ways that you're thinking about it. There's like the head office team and then there's the talent that are leading the classes. And I'm sure that the hiring process is like quite different for both of those. For the, for the talent side, like to me, it's, it's like you're hiring literally talent. You're hiring in the same way that people would try and hire for like a TikTok content creator who's like a star, you know, how do you find exactly. people like that? Yeah. So we, um, casting is really important for us and, you know, our audience loves newness. So we're always thinking about like, who is this like really interesting voice that is not yet represented on our platform. Mm-hmm. But we actually have someone whose sole job is to scout talent. So she goes, she's like looking on Instagram all the time. She's looking to see like who in what, in what, um, sort of areas is really like popping on whether it's the boutique fitness scene or they're doing interesting stuff in digital. So yeah, we find, we find people in all kinds of ways in the earliest days. Um, you know, I was, my partner and I were doing all the casting because that's what you do as an early stage founder. And we would just reach out to people on Instagram and we would say, Hey, we're former talent agents and we're launching this like really interesting digital business. Like, will you meet with us? And I'm sure it was like creepy to a lot of people. <laughs> and so if they didn't respond, we would just like keep reaching out or like find someone who knew them um, because the world is pretty small. Yeah. So that's, that's still, uh, you know, we, we do all types of things to get in front of people and to hire great talent that we know is going to be impactful for our audience. And then on the question of sort of the corporate team, that obviously is, is pretty different. So, you know, when we, or like hiring folks, you know, in the early days, it's, it's, you know, in the earliest days, we really focused on generalist because we didn't have the ability to like hire a lot of people because just we weren't set up to have a big team um, and didn't have the capital to do it. And so we were looking for generalists who knew um, a lot about a lot of different subject matter. And then over time, as the business got bigger and started to scale, then it became kind of, um, you know, we had, we were really looking for subject matter experts and, yeah, I think now in this environment where we are, we have to, you know, all just because the, who knows what like the future of fundraising will be and our mm-hmm. category specifically, we were the darlings of COVID. And then, you know, now um, because of some of our competitors, like with their valuations that are public companies, et cetera, um, you know, it just means that like investors don't look at our category as favorably. Yeah. And so I think what we're, what we're thinking a lot about is like, how can we, um, you know, how can we make sure that like we have a very sustainable business model, that we have the right people in the right jobs that are going to like really be able to set us up for this next um, phase of growth. And I think in these moments, um, people become a little bit more of a generalist, like they have an expertise in something, but they also have to take on other parts of the business, which if you're interest, if you're someone who is like, um, you know, really interested in like being an entrepreneur yourself. I think like a time like this in an environment like this is super interesting because you learn about so many other parts of the business that you wouldn't necessarily have access to um, in a different kind of climate, a different kind of environment. What does your like, uh, you know, roughly your split look like between 
people who are working on production versus people who are tech or engineering versus maybe the sales, marketing, operations kind of stuff? Sure. So um, we have 15 on the engineering team. There are, in terms of production, um, that's a pretty lean team. Mm-hmm. Maybe five. Um a couple more. We have some freelancers in there too. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we've got like 25 instructors and then on the, on the more corporate team, so that is marketing and ops, et cetera, there are 40 ish people. So it's a, it's a pretty, um, it's a pretty big team, but I think, you know, to the, what you mentioned earlier, like our business really is multi, it's like a lot of things. It's not just one thing. Like we can't yeah. just be good at tech or we can't just be good at marketing. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I think just based on like, kind of like how our business has scaled and where we are now, it's really important that we have like really strong teams and enough people to do all of the incredible work. Um, because every, every partnership, every launch, every, everything it's, um, it's really like labor intensive to get that stuff off the ground. I could talk to you forever about this and especially like in the wake of everything that's gone down at Peloton, I'm sure that's just like influenced the way that, you know, your access to capital and how you've been thinking about the business, Mm -hmm. um, Did you see a massive shift in sentiment towards what you're building around that time or like, how have you handled that? Yeah. So I think, um, I guess what, one of the things that I didn't understand coming into like the entrepreneurial, my entrepreneurial journey is like how much like market changes really could like would affect your business. So, um, when we initially raised, it was, you know, it's interesting because, um, when we initially raised in like 2018, 2019, the, the investors that came in were really excited around this idea of like content community and commerce. And like, that's how they saw our business. And yeah. then when, and, but, it, but it still was hard to raise. Like your first round is the hardest to raise because you don't really have anything to show other than like, you know, in my case, this is and some Facebook data. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then in the, the next phase of fundraising, this was like in the, you know, COVID growing by leaps and bounds. But what we were hearing from investors is like, you need a piece of hardware. Like we already, we had, re- we have best in class retention in our category. Interesting. Yeah. But they were like, but you need hardware because that's when, you know, all of these other companies that were in the um, in that <laughs> space were raising it like crazy valuations. And then, and then like fast forward to now with the sort of the Peloton stock and um, a lot of the other competitors, like with the, you know, IFIT didn't have a great IPO or their whole sort of IPO situation and um, others that tried and, and weren't successful you know, it, it definitely, um, it definitely means that investors are not as excited about our category and they're valuing those sorts of businesses at lesser multiples. Um, mm. and so, yeah, I guess I, I took for granted the way that like the, these sort of like Mac, cause we have a great business and it is growing and it is, you know, it is the engagement is great and the community is really strong, but I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize like the, um, how much those sort of like market dynamics, uh, of competitors in the space would, would matter. But, you know, I think regardless of that, there is, there's a place for companies like ours that really believe in like being sustainable and, you know, really um, have what it takes. And we've like, we've built the groundwork, I think, in a really important way to be able to survive these kind of market conditions and continue to do what we're doing. And just, if anything, I think being a young scrappy company that talks directly with consumers every day we have such good insight into what's happening and what people are looking for that we can develop specifically for them. And we have a very agile production model and an agile team. So we can take on um, sort of challenges really quickly in a way that our competitors can't. 
because they're, yep. they're so big and they have, you know, lots of other people to answer to that we don't. Also, can I just say that the, the companies that you're just talking about right now, like the ones that, that seem to make it through these downturns are always run by women. Like they've always built them more. Yeah. <laughs> they've always like built them in a way more realistic, There's... sustainable way. Yeah, I think there's something, well, and maybe it's because like women just historically have not had access to the level yeah. of the same level of capital. I was reading recently that, um, I don't know, there was some report that, you know, 4% of, or no, the, the report was, um, you know, VC, uh, VC investment in women-owned company like grew. And then when you go like one step deeper, it grew from 2% to 4%. Totally. <laughs> like, yeah. That's not okay. Yeah. It is in no way okay. We have 50%, and so, um, but fine. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, yeah, the, the representation in the VC world is not um, is not great. But I think what you know, to your point, I think um, I think women, we know that women are, are really good at a lot of things, and I think running businesses in these types of um, environments, um, because we haven't always had the same level of access to opportunity, it really actually sets us up to be um, to withstand these kind of like turbulent moments. Mm. The last thing that I ask everyone who comes on the show is for a resource. So just like a quick book or a podcast, something that you're, you know, that's helping you as you've been building your business. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a great question. Um, and hopefully there was lots of takeaway, but I would say, um, in addition to the things that I mentioned, I would say, you know, really, um, building your network at the different phases of your business. So when we were launching our business, that was sort of pre COVID. And so I, I feel like I got to know a lot of people during that period, which was very helpful. What then happened during COVID because everyone was remote and there were there were conferences and stuff, but it was all digital. It made it really hard to connect with other founders and people who are in the same place. Because I think it's in those relationships that you learn so much about what other people are experiencing and you know like what is normal and what is also abnormal. Uh, but also like you just you know you meet people that become like important in your support system and. Um, in your universe. And so I have like coming out of COVID have really made a huge concerted effort to make sure that I'm like, I'm at events again, I'm, you know, doing all of the things I'm speaking on panels, I'm, you know, getting in front of getting in front of people and meeting a lot of other founders and, and C-suite types so that I understand it's kind of like what's happening um, in in these markets. I also recently joined YPO, which is a great organization yep. that's been around for a long time. But it's, you know, it's all about other founders who are in different stages of business, which is really interesting because you get the point of view um, of a lot of different people. And it's not just work stuff. It's also like home and family and, you know, all of the other things that you have going on in your life. And I think there's just so much to learn. So that would be building your network at every phase, I think is really important. And then the the other thing that I would say, you know, just given the different, you know, ups and downs of our business and the growth, et cetera, is finding ways, and this sounds like so silly, but finding ways to like really centralize everything that you're doing and all the materials and all of the, all of the stuff. I feel like anytime, like when people leave an organization, which is obviously natural, a natural part of the employee life cycle, they take a lot of like knowledge with them that the organization doesn't necessarily know. And I, I think that, um, you know, when you think about a business, I think about it in the same way as like rearing a child. So the, the child learns as they go, and it's important that they have all of those learnings because they build on one and they build on each other. And so I think just making sure that you have organizational systems where you really do learn from um, and hold yourself accountable to learning what those things are so that as you're, as you grow, you're not making the same mistakes and, you know, you're able to, you know, like really deduce learnings. And I think that helps you come up with new sort of paths forward. That is a great tip. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing everything you're building. 
Thanks so much for having me. A quick shout out to all of our business bestie subscribers. If you are loving this show and you are building a consumer, CPG or e-commerce business, or you're about to build one, this membership will give you access to the people, experiences and the tools that you really need to build your dream business. Head to femalefounderworld.com forward slash subscriber for more.